Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Father, we do thank you, we do praise you that you are an awesome God. We thank you that we can love you and we want to worship you, Father, all of our days. We want to follow you, Father, in all of your ways. We want to be able, Father, to seek after you. And I pray, Father, that we would be challenged to pursue you, Father, to chase after you and never let go. Father, life is hard. There are many difficult things that come in front of us, Father, and and our options are slim uh, on where to go, Father. Uh, We need you and only you. I pray, Father, that we would cling to, cleave to, trust in you like never before. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that leads us and guides us and protects us. Help us to stay true, Father. Help, our, help us keep our, our nose in your book, Father, so that we would always see your ways and not the ways of this world. Uh, Father, we do thank you and we praise you and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We have uh, been going through some fun stories, if you would. We're in the, the dark days in the history of Israel. There's a dark shadow. It's called the wicked Queen Jezebel was the one that was ruling over the land. We saw Elijah butt heads with her. And uh, she was so stubborn, even in the face of the miracles of Elijah... Elijah calling down fire from heaven, doing great and wonderful things, and still she says, I want to kill you. Kind of like Sunday sermon where they redoubled their efforts when they understood the truth, and instead of accepting the God's authority, they just got tougher up against it. Jezebel was that type of woman. She was a wicked woman. And Elijah was depressed and frustrated, and God took Elijah away in the chariot of fire, and he left Elisha to follow in his, foot, uh, in his footsteps. And we're seeing Elisha to be a kinder, gentler kind of guy. We're seeing him start to work miracles of providing and feeding and the power of God there, not just to confront and to fight, but to, to give to us. And it's important we have that view of God, that God is there for us. And so just by way of review, we can start with chapter 1, and we ended last time in verse 7, but it's a powerful little uh, illustration for us to see God's hand providing for us. It says, Now there was a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets, and she's got a cried out. She cries out to Elisha, and she says, Your servant, my husband, is dead. So she's a widow now. He was a godly man, though. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But reality has struck home, for the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. So it's an ugly situation. A great man of God, one of the guys that was one of the sons of the prophets, was a godly man. He dies, leaves his wife, and the two kids behind. And reality is there that somebody's coming to take the children to be slaves. So you think we've got problems with debt? Boy, how about that? Times have gotten a little better, haven't they? But Elijah said to her, Well, what do you want me to do for you? What shall I do for you? Tell me. 
What do you have in the house? What are your resources? And God likes to take our resources that we have and builds upon them. And he says, what do you have? What can we start with? She says, well, your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. A little bit of value, not a whole lot. And then he said, go, borrow. So to borrow means you're going to get other people involved. Go borrow vessels at large. Go out and get as many as you can. Large vessels, yes, but at large. Just grab everything that's around. Go borrow large vessels for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get a few. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour out into all these vessels and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They were bringing the vessels to her and she poured. And when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's not one vessel more. And at that point, the oil stopped. Then she came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt. Raise some cash, and you and your sons can live on the rest. So it's a beautiful story of God providing, a miracle starting to happen, where someone was needing something, something very tangible. There's a reality, a problem that faces us, and for all of us, we we live our lives, and there's things that face us right in front of us. We go, God, yeah, I know the Bible says blah, 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 but I got this issue here. What do you got to do about this? And God is very much concerned about that problem you are facing. God, through the power of the Spirit, and yes, the Spirit, you can do all the words of prophecy and speaking in tongues and nice, happy feelings through the Spirit of God, but the Spirit of God also provides the tangible. And and it meets our needs, and God wants to provide for us. And I like this because it's almost as as if you read this, it's saying as to the uh, amount of containers that were provided was the amount that the oil was given. So you'd almost read this and say if they had 26 gallons of 26 containers of oil or jars set up, you'd get 26. If you had 27, you'd get 27. If you had 37, you'd have 37. At that moment, it would stop. And it's true. I think as much as we can present to to God, as much as we give our lives over to God is the amount that the Lord wants to or will be able to work in our lives. We sometimes say, God, I'll give you just this much. I'll give you a cup. I'm going to trust you just that much. And God gives us a cup of blessings back. And sometimes we got to say, Lord, here's a 55-gallon drum. And the Lord fills the 55-gallon drum. And sometimes we need to say in our hearts, we need to say, Lord, I'm going big. I'm asking. I, I have needs. And God can provide. He knows exactly what we need, how to fill it. And he takes care of the things in our life, the pay off the debt so that you and your sons can live on the rest. God wants to provide. And so with that background, we're seeing that that's showing us that God is, is, is doing a, a movement to take care of his people. 
And I like the next story. It's a good one. Another powerful illustration that's brought about. Verse 8. It says, Now there came a day when Elijah passed over to Shunem. And there was a prominent woman. And she persuaded him to eat food. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat food. So she said to her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God passing by us continually. Please, let us make a little walled upper chamber and let us set a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand and it shall be when he comes to us that he can turn in there. And so here it is. It's an interesting story. A woman says it's a prominent woman. So not all women were treated like dogs back then. Obviously, here's a woman. She's a a Shunammite, if you would. Can anyone name $25 right now another Shunammite woman in the Bible? Close, but I won't give you any money for that one. It's Agabat, it's, it's Abishag the Shunammite, but it was David's, it was David's woman that when he was, when David was an old man, he, he had this beauty contest to go get Abishag, and she got to lay in bed with David in his old age to keep him warm, and, uh, and it was David's wife, close, Solomon got her in the end, I'll give you 12 bucks for that one, <laughs> you said David's, David's, uh, uh, bag of potatoes to keep them warm at night. I don't know. that uh, She's the other beautiful girl. Good. That's bonus points, though. Did anybody else remember that? I don't know why I always sang a little song about Abishag the Shunammite. That way I could always remember it. But here's another Shunammite woman. She's, she's also a prominent lady, and so she's saying, she's going, hey, we got this guy. He's passing through town, and it was just probably the process of of Elisha to be, you know, floating back and forth through town. And she goes, hey, why don't we build a, a, an apartment? Why don't we get something set up so this guy, you know, can have a, a little place to stay whenever he comes by? Let's make him a little walled upper chamber and let us bed for him there in a table and a chair and a lampstand. And it shall be when he comes to us that he can turn in there. And so one day he came there and he turned into the upper chamber and he rested. And then he said to Gehazi, now this is our first introduction to Gehazi. Gehazi is going to be his servant, it says, the guy that was his disciple, the guy that would pour water on his hands, just as Elisha did that for Elijah. Gehazi is following in Elisha's footsteps to say, I want to learn. I want to be with you. I want to be your your disciple. And so obviously he's traveling with Gehazi. The two of them are traveling together. And uh, it just says that he turned to Gehazi, his servant. He says, call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood right before him. So she says, get up here. And he said to him, he says, say now to her, speaking to Gehazi to her, he says, behold, you have been careful for us with all this care. 
What can I do for you to say thank you, to be appreciative? Certainly there's some favor I could do for you. What would you like? Would you be spoken for to the king? Can I put a good word in for you for the king and maybe take some pressure off of you? Or maybe to the captain of the army. You got some criminals that are bothering you and I could have some military strength at your disposal. And she answered and she says, look, I I live among my own people. We take care of ourselves. I'm doing quite fine. I don't really need any of your favors. I'm doing this unto the Lord. So now he turns around to Gehazi and he says, well then, well, what shall, uh, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, he goes, well, look at the obvious, you know. He says, truly, she has no son and her husband is old. I'm sure they would have liked to have a kid. They need to have someone to carry on for the farm, to do the things that are necessary. Back then a child was priceless. It's your retirement package, if you would. And he said, well, call her second time. And when he had called her, notice, if you would, that she stood in the doorway. First time he called her, she stood right in front of him. Second time he calls her, she stands in the doorway, a little hesitant. And then he said to her, quote, at this season next year, you will embrace a son. Didn't ask her what she wanted. She didn't say she wanted a son. But he's going to promise her a child. And she turns around and she says, No, my Lord, don't even joke about something like that. No, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. I don't even want to hear a promise like that. You're telling me I'm going to have a child. Whoa, don't go there. That's a big thing. And if if it doesn't happen, I'm going to be heartbroken. And you could just hear her. She's probably been someone that's been trying and trying and trying. And every cycle, monthly cycle goes through. It's another time she's not bearing a child. It's depressing. It's frustrating. There's nothing worse if you've seen a woman that would love to have a child, not have a child. And here she's looking at this and she says, don't even joke about something like that. We're past that point. We're getting old here. My husband's old. She goes, I don't even want to hear something like that. And notice, though, she's really now, she's really confronting this guy, and she's rejecting him almost. You can almost see a pattern. First, she's standing in front of him. Next, she's at the doorway. Now she's saying, no. But nevertheless, God is going to hear her cry, work through Elisha, and the woman, it says, conceived and bore a son at that season the next year. So she has a child. Great things are happening. Just as Elijah had said to her, prophecy come true. So then as the, when the child was grown years later, he's getting to be a young lad. The day came that he went out to his father, to the reapers. He's starting to be a, a young man that's actually starting to work and to produce. And he goes up to his dad one day in the field and he goes, oh, my head, my head. And he said to his servant, the father cries out to his servant, says, get this kid out of here. Carry him back to his mother. He doesn't know what to do with him. Maybe the heat's getting to him. Send him home to mom. And when he had taken him, the servant, and brought him to his mother, he sat on his lap until noon and then died. Promised child from God, now dead. Mom's not none too happy. 
So she went up and laid him on the bed. And where does she put him? She puts him on the bed of the man of God. She goes, I had a little apartment upstairs. This is where I'm going to stretch out his body. I'm giving him back to the guy that started this whole thing. He sat on her lap. And, oh, I'm sorry. sat on her lap and then put on the... She went up, laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. And she called to her husband and said, Please, send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys. We're going on a road trip that I may run to the man of God and return. I'm going there and I'm coming back because I'm going to go speak to this guy. Now, I kind of find it interesting because the husband's kind of clueless, right? And he says, why will you go to him today? What? It's not, it's not Sunday. It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And nevertheless, she said, it will be well. Notice her level of confidence. So then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Do not slow down the pace for me unless I tell you. So she's a driven woman of God determined. So she's going as fast as she can straight to the prophet. So she went and came to the man of God on to Mount Carmel. And when the man of God saw her at a distance, he said to Gehazi, his servant. So here the prophet's looking. He sees this uh, lady riding up. He goes to Gehazi's servant. He says, behold, there is the Shunammite. Please run now to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, oh, it's well. So first, he sees her coming. He says, Gehazi, you go head her off and go find out what's going on. It's not a good deal to, you know, something's going on when she's coming at me. Go find out what the story is. And so she goes, oh, it's all fine. And notice what she's saying. She's going, I don't want to talk to you, Gehazi. I want to go straight to the horse's mouth. And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught hold of his feet, makes a scene for a prominent woman, and Gehazi came near to push her away, like, get out of here. But the man of God said, interesting, let her alone, for her soul is troubled within her, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. He doesn't know what's going on. That's interesting. Elisha, the mighty man of God, who can do such great things, he's recognizing that God's not telling him the full story. And I like Elisha. He's kind enough and gentle enough to realize that just because I don't know the whole story, I better be open to see what's going on. And a lot of us, if we don't know, we want to blame God. We want to push things apart. But he's wise enough. And then I like, she comes up and she goes, did I ask for a son from my Lord? Did I ask for this? I didn't ask for a kid. You were the one who came up to me. This was your bright idea. Did I not say, do not deceive me? I told you that if you're going to give me a son, you better give me a good one. <laughs> and I like this. She's saying, you know, I went to God. God told me what he was going to do. I'm expecting a warranty with this kid. <laughs> And that's what she's saying. Do not deceive me. So he realizes he's in this situation. He goes to Gehazi. He says, okay, Gehazi, this is what I want you to do. 
You, you gird up your loins, you take my staff in your hand, and you go your way. If you meet any man, do not salute him. And if anyone salutes you, do not answer him and lay my staff on the lad's face. This is what the Lord wants you to do. You go and do this job for me. And the mother of the lad said, no, that ain't going to work. This isn't a job for Gehazi. This is a job for you. She says, as the Lord lives and as yourself live, I'm not leaving you with just a promise. I'm not going to let go of you. So he turns around and he arose, he arose and, and followed her. So then Gehazi passed on before them, and he's going to get there first, and then he's going to travel with this lady back so Gehazi can make better time. So Gehazi passed on before them, and so he gets there. He lays the staff on the lad's face as an obedient servant, but there was no sound or response. Didn't do much. The kid's still dead. So, did what he was told to do, so he returned to meet him and told him, the lad's not awakened. So Elijah, Elisha sorry, came into the house, and behold, the lad was dead and laid on his bed. His bed. He goes, that's my bed. I've got a dead guy on my bed. So he entered and he shut the door behind them both and prayed to the Lord. That's the key. And he went up and lay on the child. Interesting process. And he put his mouth on his mouth. It's not quite what we would think of doing with a corpse. And his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself on him. And the flesh of the child became warm. Then he returned. He walked in the house. He walked in the house back and forth. So he starts to pace. And he went up and he stretched himself on him again. And this time the lad sneezed seven times. <laughs> Your cologne, it's killing me, right? And the lad opened his eyes. And so he called Gehazi and he said, Call the Shunammite for the fourth time. So he called her. And when she came into him, and now she's right in the presence of him, he said, take up your son. And then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground, and she took up her son and went out. And I like it. So it's a cool story of Elisha rising uh, someone from the dead. It's a, it's, it's a story of God saying... I'm going to provide, and the provision of God even comes with a warranty. And I like that. Sometimes we think that God works in our life, and it's only temporal. It's only going to be for a season. It's only going to be something that's going to happen, but then we go right back into the trials and tribulations. And what God is saying is saying, hey, I care enough and I'm going to back up what I'm saying and I'm not going to lead you out on a limb, set you up and then have you be set up so you're falling all over again. And this lady had that determination. She turned around and I like her. She says, I'm determined to go right back to the one that gave me and made these promises and I'm going to hold him accountable to his promises. And notice, if you would, it required that he get involved. He couldn't just send his servant to do the job. He had to get involved where he had to lay on top of the kid 
And I don't know what that means, you know what I mean, where his eyes are touching, his mouth is touching, you know, he's laying stretched out on top of him, and I, and I can only see that he's saying, you have to intermesh yourself with this problem. And, and Elisha is going to have to be intermeshed with this problem in order to see change happening. Sending a, a Gehazi into the situation was not there. And she knew that it would take God or the man of God to get involved. Now you can look at this. Build out an illustration and say, I guess when, when, when we want to be the same way, that uh, God comes and conceives a child in us. We can turn around and say, uh, God, I need to be born again. I need to give my life over to you. And hence, we are, we're born-again Christians. And inside of that, God plants his seed inside of us into our heart. It conceives and brings forth a new child, a new life. And then there becomes the old man, which has passed away. And then there's the new man, a new life. And as it is, it's this child that starts to develop inside of us. We're a new born-again Christian. We're a new entity. And I like this. And God's saying, you got to say, God, this new child, my Christian walk, my born-again experience, uh, this is yours. And what we need to do is to say, Lord, as I'm growing and walking my Christian life, Problems arise and attack my spirituality. Sometimes we encounter things that we feel that we have died spiritually. And I know that we can sometimes feel robbed of God and say, God, you came when I gave that little altar call and walked down the aisle and asked you to come into my life. When I was there alone, you know, sitting out there staring at the, sky, the stars and I said, Lord, if you're real, I want you to come into my life. And based upon his promises, God comes up to us and he speaks to us. Based upon his promises, we start a new life. And that life all of a sudden, it can fall apart. And we need to be just like that Shunammite lady and say, when the child dies, struggles happen in our life, our spiritual life, you need to have that same level of determination, that same level of commitment, the same ability to be driven and to say, Lord, this is your spiritual life that you started. You need to maintain it. You need to cause us to grow and to nurture and to be strong. And God's going to take that life and he's going to nurture it. And it never dies. God brings it back. God takes our spiritual life. When we're down and out and we're saying, Lord, I feel like I'm dead spiritually. God says, if you pursue me, seek after me and chase me, I can bring it back. I can, I can bring it and give it new life. And we want to say, Lord... That's what I'm trusting in, that spiritual life to be everlasting, to be born of an imperishable seed, not of the perishable seed. The flesh dies, and what we need to see is, is, is to go straight to, to God. In, in this case, if Elisha would be God the Father, I guess, you know, if you want to look at it in a weird sense. And God saying in order for us to work in our lives, there has to be an intermeshing God's saying, I want to lay right on top of you. I want, to, I want to get right in your face. I want to breathe right down into your life, and I can breathe forth life. 
And hence we're seeing that uh, a, 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 a great illustration of God who keeps his promises. So God, if you look at the first part of the chapter, you can see that God wants to provide for us. Second part of this is that God wants to keep his promises. And what that sometimes is contingent upon is that we keep our promises. There's an obligation inside of us for us to turn around to be driven just like the lady is to be driven. For us to be a complete Christian, that means that we need to be someone who is to be a man or woman of his or her word. Uh, The Bible says, Jesus says, right, uh, let your yes be yes and your no be no, right? Uh, James tells us that, uh, you know, that uh, a spring of water doesn't produce salt water and then it doesn't produce fresh water. Uh, God is constant. We trust in and believe that God is always going to keep his word. What do we have that God is going to keep his word in our lives? Uh, We have a down payment. We have... uh, uh, a, a pledge, it says in Ephesians chapter one thirteen. It says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance. That's, that's a, a, a pledge, a guarantee, something that we have of what the future is going to hold. We're sealed in the Holy Spirit, and we know that as we have the Holy Spirit, we can taste of the future by seeing the things that are present in our own lives. God, God wants us to understand that, that He has given us a taste of the future, that, that spiritual person that is alive. And he wants to say that I'm going to back it up with a warranty. He keeps his word. It says in Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Everything we have in our Christianity is to say God is faithful. God keeps his promises. God's given us a pledge of the future. It's our spiritual life that we have. We can experience spiritual things. If we're going to be speaking in tongues or prophesying or seeing a healing or the miraculous happen in our own lives. God's given us signs and wonders. He's given us the supernatural as a pledge. It says, you see this happening here? Well, this is a guarantee of the future that it's going to happen. And God keeps his promises. That's what gives us hope. That's what allows us to be established. That's why we need to be driven like that lady, the Shunammite, and says, I'm not going to mess with anything else. I'm going to go straight to the prophet. I'm going to go straight to God. So to be of the same nature. We want God to keep his promises We need to keep ours. Uh, I like uh, sometimes when I do a wedding, and it depends on where I am. If I think that people are never going to make it and get a divorce, I don't know. Sometimes if I really want to be cruel, and I I throw in a few verses 
in my wedding ceremony. And uh, every wedding you have to do Ephesians chapter 5, right? You know, women submit to your husbands and, and husbands love your wives just as Christ, you know, loved the church. He died and gave himself up for her. And then you go through the whole submission thing and then you give the example of, of serving and loving and respect as you go through the whole chapter. But it's an interesting chapter if you understand that it's a chapter dealing with marriage. It starts off... Uh, with some very cruel thoughts. And uh, in chapter 5, verse 1 of Ephesians, it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. We have to mock, imitate, copy. That's our example. We need to imitate God as beloved children. And, uh, uh, and walk in love. God loves, we need to love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. So I can start explaining this to certain couples and say, look, we have an obligation to be godly in our lives. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ in God. And then I can speak to people and say, now, it gets pretty heavy if you think about this in terms of a wedding. It says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. And that word partakers, the root word there is the same root word that you get the koinonia out of, that you're binding together. And he's saying, don't be bound together. Don't be unequally yoked. Don't be married to somebody if they're going to come at you with empty words, if they're not going to keep their word, if they're not going to promise. And when you're having a wedding, you're recognizing that you're saying for richer, for poorer, until death do us part in sickness and in health, and the vows that you're saying are said in front of God, and you realize it's saying that the wrath of God is going to come upon you if you're going to be a partaker with somebody who's deceiving you with empty words. It's kind of a little scare trip in there for weddings, isn't it? <laughs> but it's right in there. And then he goes into the whole thing of marriage. He says, don't be a partaker with them. Don't be deceived. And don't, do, do not let anyone deceive you with empty words. Never mind if you are going to turn around and, and speak forth lies and falsehood. God keeps his promises. There's an obligation right there in Ephesians for us to not be bound with people that are going to be speaking empty words. Never mind for us. He says, for you were formerly of darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So the idea would be, I like it, God keeps his promises, we need to keep our promises. The promises of God are everything to us as a Christian. It's our foundation. Everything that we trust in is that God said something, we believe it, and then God has to fulfill it. 
And if we trust in the level that we come to God and we say, Lord, these are your promises. I'm coming to you with buckets of pain. And I'm asking you, these are your promises. God says you're going to fill me. Then he fills to that level. And sometimes if we're not going to believe the promises, we're really just saying, God, I'm coming to you with a little cup and you fill that up. And we wonder how come in our life there's an emptiness that's shallow. And so the desire, the drive, we come to God and we say, God, are your promises true? You're telling me I can go to, to heaven with the pearly gates, the streets of gold, and we're going to be praising the Lord for all of eternity and eating from the tree of life, and we're going to be drinking from the, from the living water. It's going to be so great. And we want to say, God, don't, don't lie to me. I don't, you know, don't tell me that story, God, if it's not true. Don't go up and promise me all this stuff, God, and have me live my life as a Christian and think that I'm deceived and it's not going to work and I'm going to try Jesus for a while and all of a sudden I'm going to be left dead again. And it's us having that perseverance of the Shunammite woman and saying, I'm going to go and it's going to be this way. And when we go to the Lord and says, God, these are your promises. You've got to keep your word. God is faithful. He does keep his word. And at that point, that's what strengthens us to have everlasting life to keep the spiritual man going as we say lord these are your promises i want to be an imitator of you i want to be like you you told me that if i gave my life to you you're going to start a new child in me an everlasting new dave brown and when i i hit a pothole i fall apart i'm feeling dead and away from the lord the one thing i can do is i can go back and say lord i'm going back to your promises i'm holding you accountable and i need you to intermesh with me a little bit here so that i can have my spiritual life again and that's how we as christians need to get through some of the rough parts of our life you got to hold on to god and his word you go straight to the source and you don't let another one interfere. You know, sometimes we've got to learn a lesson of the Gehazi in this. Uh, there's, there's, there's a lesson there in him as well. Uh, sometimes, sometimes you have to realize that uh, Gehazi is going to be an interesting person here into the future. But in this part of the text, he's a faithful servant. But even as faithful as he is, he cannot raise the lad. And if we're to learn a lesson of that, sometimes you and I need to learn a lesson that there's sometimes people have a problem and they need to go to God with it and there's nothing that we can do as a middleman. And if Gehazi is a middleman, the servant, and Elijah, Elisha says, you go do this and you go do that, it's not going to do anything. And sometimes we need to recognize it's not just throwing the stick on top of the guy. It's not just saying the magic chant. It's not us doing anything for him. We need to sometimes recognize and say, God, uh, there's nothing I can do here I can't whatever's happening with this person they need to go to you for and wise counsel needs to say you know brother you, you need to just get on your knees before the Lord you don't need an answer you don't need me to tell you anything you know what the answers are you know what God's telling you to do you need to get on your face before God and get right with God and so we watch a, 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 an interesting uh, illustration and hopefully we don't want to be as the lady's husband, who was clueless, and said, what do you need to go to that guy for? You need to say, we need to be dialed in. So then we can end with another powerful little story, couple little stories. Verse 38, and it says, when Elisha returned to Gilgal, 
after he raised the child, he's going back home. It says there was a famine in the land. So it's now getting scarce, hard to find food to eat. And as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, put on the, the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. And then one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it his lap full of wild gourds and came and sliced them into the pot of stew. For they did not know what they were. So they poured it out for the meal for the men to eat. And as they were eating of the stew, they cried out uh, and said, Oh, man of God, there's death in the pot. <laughs> so they're saying, these gourds are poisonous. It's going to kill us. Someone threw something raunchy in there. You're going to die. So they were all unable, unable to eat. But he said, now bring meal. And he threw it into the pot and said, pour it out for the people that they may eat. So it could have been cornmeal, some, some type of wheat or something. They throw that into the pot and somehow or another, whether that extracted out the impurities or it's something miraculous. They poured it out in the people that they may eat and there was no harm in the pot. So God is more than able to make up for our delinquencies. Sometimes we go out and we grab hold of some wild gourds. We don't know what it is, but we have the best intentions. So in the light of God's provision, not only does it come with a warranty, but he makes up for our delinquencies, the things that we just don't understand. And I like that. This poor guy's like, I didn't know what was going on. I just did what you told me to do. And God covered. God provided. You can look at the meal. Chuck Smith does a little story on that, on how the meal is God's word. And God puts his word into a poisonous situation, and it brings about purity. Inside of God's word is where you get the promises of God. And God says, my promises are what's going to be uh, uh, saving you from the poison of death. Another short little story, it says, Now a man came from Baal Shalashah and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. So there's a hundred guys there we're going to find out. He's bringing in twenty loaves of barley and some fresh ears of corn in his sack. And he said, Give them to the people that they may eat. So he's taking and he's tithing of his first fruits to the Lord. And he's given it to the prophets to feed them. Um, and his attendant said, well, what will I set before this, uh, before a hundred men? So he's saying, look, there's only 20 loaves and, and a few ears of corn. Is it going to feed a hundred guys? But he said, nevertheless, give them to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. So he set it before them and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. And so here you're watching Elisha perform some pretty big miracles. And here he's also doing the same miracle of Jesus, if you would, where Jesus had five loaves and two fish. And this guy, you know, it's not quite as spectacular as Jesus. But, you know, it's up there. He took 20 loaves and a few ears of corn and he fed everybody and there was some left over. And if you're with us just through Mark, when we see the times that Jesus is feeding the multitudes, it, it gives us the idea that, 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 that God is a limitless resource. 
And so many times we look at our lives and we say the same thing. God, I know you can only do this much. God, I know I can believe you. If I have a cold, I'll pray for you to heal a cold. But if I got cancer, I can't believe that you're really going to heal my cancer. Well, I guess I could take cancer if it's, you know, I caught it early enough and I took a little chemo, then I guess it would be all right. But, you know, if the doctors came up to us and said, your cancer is so way blown out of proportion, you now have got, you know, two weeks to live. Well, God, you can't do nothing then. And God says, yes, I can. I can heal. I can touch. I can do anything at any given time. God is a, a limitless, unlimited resource. And so as God wants to provide the woman with the cup with the oil, God wants to say, I'm going to provide and it's going to be a constant. It comes with a warranty. God's saying, I want to provide even in the midst of your delinquencies and your, and, and your idiocies where you have made mistakes. And so many times we feel that way. We said, Lord, this is my mistake. You, this is, I deserve this. It was my fault, God. God, I did something wrong and I, I deserve my punishment. God is saying, no, I want to provide, I want to take care of, and I want to love. And I like how all this wraps together because he's doing this right in the midst of the reign of Jezebel, the wicked queen mother, in the midst of real problems, people dying, the lady's husband's dying. These are tangible things that we face in our life. And God is trying to tell you, he says, I see what you're walking through. I see the problem you're facing. I see your boss that you can't get along with. I see your financial situation that you're, you're struggling with. I see your car breaking down and you have no way to get around. I see the situation. Trust me with it. I will provide. I will take care of. I will do the things that are necessary. God can do the supernatural, and he wants to speak to you, and he wants to take you to a new place in your life where you can say, Lord, I need, I need the power and the strength in my life, and I'm trusting in you. And God comes through. God comes through in so many ways that he wants to touch and to heal and to minister. Amen? Anybody want to argue? It's a good little chapter, though, huh? I like the fun things. We do thank you. We do praise you for being an awesome God, Father, for working in our lives and for touching us and moving. Father, we need to be dependent upon you, Father, because you are a God that provides. You have taken our life, Father, and our life, our spiritual life, even comes with a warranty. You are worthy to be trusted. You are worthy, Father, of, of praise and thanksgiving for all the things that you have done in our life. Father, if there is someone here that is struggling, somebody here that is looking at, at, at an empty cup, Father, I pray that they would come to you with an open heart and to ask that you would provide, Father, and to do the supernatural. Father, we need you in our lives. There are many things in my life, Father, that I just need to look beyond my shallowness, Father, and to ask you to fill to the depth that you can. Father, we are humble servants of yours, Father. We want to be driven to pursue you, seek after you. Father, you have provided so abundantly with us for a place to stay. You have taken care of us through many of our own delinquencies and some of the things that we deserve to be punished for, Father. Your mercy has provided for us. I pray, Father, you would just continue to move and to change, that you would touch that person that is here tonight, Father, that needs, that is crying out to you, Father, that you would move in a supernatural way in their life. 
Father, we thank you for your word that cleanses us and purifies us. We thank you for your promises. I pray that we'd always trust in those, Father. We, uh, we just give you all the praise and all the glory, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.